0: log star date 1329.1. The enterprise brings aboard the survivors of an ill-fated vessel. Hello And the ladies is this your crew captain? This is Micargo.
1: Hi and welcome to women at warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Jera and thanks for tuning
2: in. Hi, I'm Andy. Hi, this is Sue. Hi, and I'm Grace.
1: If you stick with us until the very end of the episode, you'll get to hear a sneak preview from Grace's new Ferengi bodice ripper novel, A Price Beyond Latinum. And today we are going to talk about Harcourt Fenton Mud. Everyone's favorite lovable rogue (laughs) yes Uh, uh. yes but before we get into that we have some housekeeping first we want to just take a second to remind you about the Women at Warp Patreon if you're enjoying Women at Warp it would super help us to have your support on our Patreon which is a system where people can pledge a really small monthly donation as little as a dollar a month and that helps us do things like pay for our website hosting and our equipment produce materials so basically we can get our feminist Star Trek podcasting to a bigger audience. So if you're interested in supporting us, head over to patreon.com slash women at warp. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n slash women at warp. And there's exclusive content and other cool bonus offers for people who support us. So make it so. Next up, we have listener mail, a a subspace transmission from... (laughs) (laughs) former host of all things Trek, orin and so sue would you like to go ahead and read his listener transmission
3: i would love to orin says very much enjoyed your review of uhura's song i totally agree that the term mary sue is super problematic it implies that this is something that only women do in their silly womanly ways and it gets lobbed at any female character with the gall to be good at stuff If anything, I found the too awesome character just as common, if not more so among male characters. See Wesley Crusher from TNG or John Sheridan from Babylon 5. That said, this Evan Wilson character sounds really obnoxious from how you describe her. She shows up in this pre-established group of characters and is way better than them at absolutely everything, then at the end they suddenly reveal that she was some kind of trickster spirit the whole time? No thanks. You can have a character who's super competent, but it has to make sense in the story and not make the other characters look silly. Xena, for instance. But Wilson just sounds like a character the author super loved. Can't say if it was a self insert or not. And tried way too hard to make us love too. Uh,
1: Anyone have any thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think Orn is absolutely right in that it's the Mary Sue character type. This too awesome character is really, really common among male characters, but it's just not pointed out. And I don't remember where I read it. I'm sorry. But I know I have read that it is because men are expected to be the hero of their own story. So it's not pointed out as much in our literature and in our movies. But when a woman has the audacity to be the hero, Well, then it's she, just silly. Yeah, it's accused of making them too good at stuff.
2: You know? Unbelievably so. It's not believable that a woman would be so, you know, competent.
3: I definitely don't think we
2: thought Evan
1: Wilson was obnoxious. Certainly not until the very end. You know, she admired things about the other characters so she isn't going around saying look how awesome i am at everything i'm so much better than everyone but i naturally like the idea of just calling that trope the too good character and removing gender from the yeah, mix
0: because you get uh, the accusation so much more with female characters it's just naturally assumed that any competent female character is unbelievable or too much which is silly
1: yep well thanks again for that email oren if you want to send us listener mail you can email us at crew at women at com. All right, so moving on, today we're going to talk about a character who's often described as a lovable rogue or charismatic con man, Harry Mudd. Thanks to listener Bob for this episode suggestion. The lovable rogue, as most of us can probably figure out, not a super original character. Since Mudd, there's been Han Solo, Malcolm Reynolds, uh, lots of other, uh, uh, let's not forget the outrageous Arcana.
0: Outrageous.
1: No one could forget that mullet. <laughs> TVTropes.org describes the lovable rogue as a person who breaks the law for their own personal profit, but is nice enough and charming enough to allow the audience to root for them, especially if they don't kill or otherwise seriously harm anyone. So on Facebook, we put out, what do you guys think about Harcourt, Fenton, Mud?" And uh, here are some comments we got. So my personal favorite. Yes, uh, is this comment from Ryan, who says, haven't seen any of the episodes, but he looks like Mirror Universe Ned." Landers,
2: <laughs> I, I laughed about that all
3: afternoon yeah stupid sexy mud
1: <laughs> yeah patrick says all i know is after an encounter with janeway he'd have died weeping which i definitely agree with she would not have let him get away with his shenanigans why couldn't that have happened <laughs> yeah i mean they brought mud back a few times they talked about actually having a mud
0: spin-off gosh are you why? serious
1: Yeah, they never brought him back to uh, Voyager to get tooled by Captain Jane which I'm almost going to regret that. Finally, Caitlin says, The main thing I remember from iMUD was the constant, hilarious, in quotation marks, jokes about Harry's terrible shrewish wife and how he made an android version of her just so he could tell her to shut up.
0: Comedy! That is a hallmark of a
3: well-adjusted man. Then the ultimate punishment for him, spoiler alert, is being nagged by 500 copies of his wife yep can i throw myself out the window please (laughs) we we still have a lot of mud to get to
1: before we even get to that point (laughs) oh good grief
0: we got a ways to go
1: yeah just a little bit of background so the episode uh was originally suggested by Gene roddenberry but the character of mud was created by stephen candel candle not sure how you say that um who wrote all of the mud episodes roger carmel who played Mudd was the only non Enterprise crew actor to reprise his role in more than one TOS episode. And they had planned to bring him back in the fourth season as well if they had had a fourth season. So of all of the guest actors they had, the one they loved most was Harry Mudd.
0: Really? Yeah. Why? There's no accounting for taste, I guess.
1: Yeah. So after they put forward the pilot, The Cage, you know, NBC said that they found it basically too cerebral. They weren't sure the audience would totally get all the concepts. So, Kendall later recounted, I said, what if we start with a character who isn't alien or highly technologized, but rather somebody with whom the audience would easily identify? What we came up with was a roofing salesman, a con man the medicine salesman in The Wizard of Oz that ends up as the wizard, an interstellar con man hustling whatever he can hustle, a lighthearted, cheerful, song and dance man version of a pimp. That's charming.
0: Yeah, Yeah, those aren't a series of words I usually associate with each other. Wait, a song and dance man (laughs) (laughs) version
3: (laughs) of a pimp? Yeah.
0: Well, it's accurate, I guess.
3: I'm just gonna think about that for a little bit.
1: I'm imagining Sweet Charity crossed with iMud, or (laughs) Mud's Women. That sounds crazy, but I would totally watch it. (laughs) (laughs) So, this outline by Roddenberry was basically about, quote, space hookers bound to be sold as wives on a distant planet by a, quote, intergalactic pimp named Harry Patton. Candle felt the story lacked a focal point character and merged it with his idea of the charismatic con man. That's back background like i said they also considered a spin-off series at one point apparently roger carmel said that gene roddenberry said it's a shame that the series thing for never you never worked out and he said what series thing and roddenberry says oh you didn't know well after the successful harry mudd episodes nbc wanted to know if i would develop a spin-off series for you starring the harry mudd character a space pirate intergalactic conman kind of thing
2: i don't understand like was he a popular character Like, back then? Yeah. There's not a lot to like. Like, I think that should be a question we
1: discuss after we go through some of the episodes, is why do people consider him, like, why the word lovable in lovable rogue? I mean, it's hard to say from that quote whether Gene Roddenberry was really developing a spinoff or whether he was just trying to flatter Roger Carmel at a party. That thought
2: occurred to me that maybe that wasn't real, but if it is true, that's pretty weird. Well, I do say a lot of things when I've been drinking wine. So, maybe Gina Roddenberry is the same way. Alright, so
1: the first Mud episode didn't become the second pilot of the original series, but it, it's very early in the first season of TOS. Mud's Women. Yay. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe andy since you had to re-watch this today and i feel very sorry for you do you want to explain to the listeners the sort of brief synopsis
2: sure so the enterprise is chasing this small spacecraft that apparently has hairy mud on it and they save him from an asteroid field and then they beam him onto the ship and lo and behold they also beam three super sexy women with him, which I always find it hilarious that while they're emerging on the transporter platform and they're all in, like, these super sexy poses, like, (laughs) why would you transport like that? (laughs) Off-topic. So it turns out that these women, like, have some sort of kind of hypnotic thrall for the crew, and the crew is all like wow wow wowza when they're walking around and it turns out that Harry Mudd has been planning to basically bring them to a mining planet and sell them as wives like a mail order bride situation but then Kirk catches them and um, there's a breakdown with the lithium crystals on the enterprise uh, so they have to go to a lithium mining planet to replace their lithium crystals so they don't all run out of power and, you know, like fall out of the sky and die. At least when you run out of gas, your your car doesn't fall, you know, into a planet. It turns out the the, the women have been taking what they call Venus drugs to make themselves look pretty. And so that's awesome. They're taking these kind of drugs that apparently do their hair and makeup for them.
0: Also fixes the lighting.
2: Yeah, <laughs> soft focus. Yeah, and when they stop taking the
1: drugs, they look like me when I get up in the morning, which is to say... Apparently terrifying.
0: Just the whole world turns into overhead lighting when they don't take it. (laughs) Like the dressing room in a Macy's. It's evil. They look totally normal. They
1: just look like they wiped off their makeup. And then they're all going like, we're unclean.
2: I can't live like this. Oh my god. No. Well, so the miners then feel like, well, we've been totally... Conned here. We wanted pretty ladies, not these hagified women with no makeup on. <laughs> yeah, it's terrible. <laughs> Do I have to explain more of
1: the episode? It's so bad. Yeah, and so the women, it's argued that they very much want this. Like Eve the main woman has this big speech. Uh, it's the same story for all of us, Captain. No men. We've got men waiting to be our husbands for us, and you're taking us in the opposite direction.
2: I love your emphasis there, Jera. Very well done. Yeah,
3: bravo. You should talk in that voice all the time. They're
1: basically just like, we want to be wives and mothers and help people clean their houses. And they show that they're valuable wives because they help, like, she teaches this rough course, minor husband, a
0: way to clean his pots. But
2: then he doesn't appreciate
0: him. It's all very seven wives for seven brothers.
2: Yeah. So there's like nothing wrong with wanting to be a wife and mother, but the way they set this up, it's like they're bringing them to this horrible mining planet that basically you can't even like leave the house because of all the dust storms and everything to marry men they've never met because apparently that's their only option when they're, when, you know, they're not on these drugs that make them look pretty. And that's what I have a problem with. Like, the idea that this is the only thing that they could ever possibly aspire to. Paula M. Block, who is um, an author of several Star Trek
1: non-fiction books, has said that this episode was one of the most prominent examples of sexism in TOS. Her quote is, Take Eve, the most rational of the three women. After spending most of her life cleaning up after a bunch of unappreciative male siblings, all she wants is the opportunity to connect with a good man. Even after learning that she doesn't need the Venus drug to appear desirable eve can't foresee a future that doesn't involve snaring a man the thought of serving aboard a starship never occurs to her except perhaps as the captain's wife so she consigns herself to life on baron rigel 12 cleaning up for another unappreciative male and listening to the winds blow day and night
3: i think it's really interesting that the word used in that quote is to appear desirable so she's not even doing it for herself she's doing it to appear desirable to a man
1: yeah and he's Awful. Like, there's this part on the planet where he, he basically rages at her because she stopped taking these drugs and he goes, you're not only as plain as an old bucket, you're not even good company. What the devil happened to your looks anyway? And she goes, I got tired of you. I slumped. And he goes, you heard what I said, you're homely. I've got enough in crystals already to buy queens by the
2: gross. He's
1: basically like, I'm going to buy hotter women.
2: Isn't that your prince charming, Jera?
0: Doesn't that sound like <laughs> the perfect man to you? There is one recurring theme that I think holds true to this day, even in the dated context. And that is that there's recur this recurring thing of, oh, they tricked us. They tricked us with these beauty prills and these products and who of us has not heard a guy sit, refer to a woman to a woman as having tricked him with makeup? Because seriously, the good looking does not just come together like that.
1: Oh my god! And then the ending is totally confuses any possible positive message because what happens is they find out that the Venus drugs weren't real and that they were they were basically a placebo. That confidence is what makes you attractive. and does your
2: makeup for you.
1: Yeah, and like, it would still obviously be super problematic that all they want to do is be wives, but at least there would be a message that beauty is in the eye of the beholder and it's about your confidence. But then... She actually gets beautiful again, like, or, you know,
3: made up. She physically transforms. Kirk is saying this is about how you feel about yourself, but then she physically transforms, which makes zero sense. Her hair
2: gets done. What pill does your hair for you?
3: I would take that pill. (laughs) And
1: it totally creates this dichotomy, too, between, like, beautiful equals stupid and, like, homely equals a good wife. She says, Is this kind of wife you want, Ben? Not someone to help you? Not a wife to cook and sew and cry and need? But this kind? Selfish? Vain? Useless?
0: This is my favorite thing. <laughs> we should just have Jared do Shakespearean readings in that voice. Yeah, but I mean,
2: yeah. it, it's like, it, you can't win then. Either you're exactly. pretty and useless, or you're ugly and, you know, <laughs> basically a servant yeah. to a man. Those yeah. are your choices?
3: The meanest drug! Reinforce your heteronormative gender stereotypes! <laughs>
2: <laughs> that should be on the label. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently um,
1: Bob Justman, the uh, producer, associate producer at that time, he had a lot of feedback. And um, one of his points he made was, I would like to see Ben finally say that he does want Eve as she is and vice versa. I have a feeling that we may have left this fact unresolved for the audience. I'd just like to see Ben finally crumble and admit that he has been wrong and indicate strongly how much he wants Eve. This is from uh, These Are the Voyages. The author, uh Mark Cushman, says, this change was made, but only after Eve transformed back into beautiful thereby losing the whole point of Justin's recommendation yeah
2: but i the thing is is even with that like what about her wanting him it's all about whether or not whether he wants her why would she want him he's mean he lives in the middle of nowhere in like a shack in a dust storm
0: what a catch right
2: yeah all he wants to do is get drunk with his buddies and buy by queens by the gross Gross. And
3: they missed, I think, a golden opportunity here, because earlier in the episode, Spock is talking about the, the dilithium crystals. Are they lithium or dilithium at this they point? They say
2: lithium in this one, okay. but I think it turns into dilithium later. I think this is the last episode they call them lithium. It doesn't
3: really matter. But Spock is looking at the lithium crystals that have burnt out, and he says, even burned and cracked, they're beautiful. And that could have become a theme in this episode. Really and good. instead... Nope. They have to be perfect and shiny and new when the women transform with their self-confidence.
2: Well, and Eve too could have been a good character because she gets these moments, and I don't know if that was the actress because the writing is pretty, her dialogue is pretty terrible throughout, but she gets these moments where she just is so angry and it seems like she's angry that she's being put through this, you know? Like there's this, there's this horrible scene where, uh, Ben, Prince Charming here decides that she's not, you know, being happy enough and smiley enough. So he decides to go and like try and dance with one of the other women and it causes a fight because, you know, now she's the only, she's the one that nobody wants. And she's like, why don't you guys just have a lottery and the loser gets me? And then she like runs out into the storm. Like that anger could have been really, really interesting because she's right. The, the way they've, they've set this up. That, you know, each man gets a woman and, like, which one do they want and, like, trading them is just so creepy and she gets really angry about it, as she should. And I would have liked to see that actually done well because I feel like there's a lot of thematic elements here that could have worked. Yeah. Our obsession with beauty and, you know, the pressure we put on women to be beautiful – There were shades of that in this episode. They were just so undercut by everything else.
3: And this is where we jump into that question that I think might even deserve a full episode, which is what can we really expect from TV that was made 50 years ago? Yeah. You can certainly critique it from a current day standpoint, but how much leeway do you give it because it has been 50 years? We obviously don't have a memory of that time you know, so we don't know what the societal pressures or expectations or deviations were for women in the 60s.
2: Yeah, I mean, this is the most common criticism we get for the kind of analysis we do anyway. Well, when it comes to the original series, is there like, lay off it, it was a long time ago, it was progressive for its time kind of thing. I still think we need to critique it, but I do think you're right, Sue, that it would be a really interesting topic to kind of discuss the, the 60s aspect of it all and how progressive was it and were, are we being unfair?
3: Yes, exactly. But especially, I think, for something like Star Trek that is held up even today as being groundbreaking in its time. That means that people are going to continue to watch it now and into the future. So there needs to be conversation about the things that are great about it and the things that are not so great about it. And what was progressive, what wasn't, and are the things that were progressive then problematic now?
1: Yeah, exactly. But I I don't think that this would be considered even progressive by 60s standards. I think when you look at the body of work in the original series, this is one of the worst episodes for women. I think there are far better ones. And I don't think it makes sense when, you know, they're basically saying, we came from these planets where there were no men. Our only option is to hook up with Space Pimp and get him to find us husbands when there are women all around the original series doing other jobs. So it doesn't make sense to me that everyone would buy into this inevitability that, their only option is is to be – and there's nothing wrong with, like, women who do choose to and have the ability to have a domestic life and want to, like, raise kids at home if they have that ability. But for that to be the only choice, um, there were a lot of women characters not just on Star Trek but on other shows at the time who were, you know, starting to have valuable careers. And the other thing is the behind-the-scenes commentary, like that memo from Bob Justman, shows that people – You know, maybe we wouldn't have come out with the most amazing episode ever, but there were changes raised even at the time that could have been made that would have been marginal improvements. Yeah,
3: I didn't mean that to sound like a defense of this episode whatsoever, just that it's an interesting question that comes into the conversation.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think it's an important thing to ask. Um, and like you pointed out that, um, you know, even if we ruled, yeah, this was good for the time, you still need to critique it from today's perspective as well, because it's still being watched today. One of
2: the smaller things that really bothers me about this episode is how often the women are dehumanized. Like, he calls them cargo.
1: Yeah. That kind
2: of goes throughout the episode. Like, they're a product. Um, like, to me... It sounds like that's exactly what they were going for because they called him a space pimp and them space hookers. So it really was like set up as him selling them. Yeah, absolutely. Are they paying him to transport them? Because I don't even really understand how this economic transaction is even happening. Maybe he just collects the fee. Yeah, like a finder's fee
1: or something. I don't know. It it sounded like he was arranging for the husbands to pay him upon
3: delivery.
0: It just adds to this idea that these women are exploited in this situation. I don't like that. A lot
3: of those organizations go and like that that happen in our world today go and like pitch to the families, Oh, your daughter could have such a better life, let me send her to America. You know, it's gonna be so great. And sometimes they even take money from families to take these daughters away to be mail-order brides, and then the men also pay for them. You know, so he could be getting money on both ends of that trade, if you want to make it analogous to the terrible, terrible trafficking that goes on in our world today. And that's,
1: again, why I do not get the lovable thing. Human traffickers are are not lovable rogues. (laughs) It's a pretty awful thing that happens. Yeah,
2: and I mean, when we're thinking about, like, actual good lovable rogues, like, you were saying Han Solo and Malcolm Reynolds, like, there's no comparison there. <laughs> like, there's no comparison. There's nothing lovable about Harry Mudd. And I think that they wanted him to be funny, and maybe some people found him funny. I found everything he said to be grating and horrible. Like, he's He's annoying. Like, yeah. forget all of the sexism and the misogyny. He is annoying. Like, this over-the-top kind of wahaha ha kind of vibe from him is just so annoying. I can't take it. Like, his voice makes me want to claw at my, well, clawing out my eyes wouldn't help, but.
1: He also looks like he just escaped from a really historically inaccurate local theater production of The Three Musketeers.
2: <laughs> That's so accurate. His stupid hat. Where do, where do you get a hat like that? I don't know. I mean, we can only assume,
3: right, that the humor in this episode is funny by 60s sitcom standards, right? If, if they're claiming that these are successful episodes and this was a successful character, it must have been funny.
2: I mean, the only thing that I found funny was the over the top reactions from the dudes on the Enterprise. Like, Scotty's looking at them like they're made out of ham. Like, just like, Like he's practically drooling, and like McCoy at one point is like glazed over and just like grinning like an idiot. (laughs) So Kirk is is
1: hailing them, and he's just like Bueller, Bueller, anyone, anyone, and they're just they can't even answer because they're just staring.
3: (laughs) That happens so much in TOS, and I cannot take it. Like if you cannot concentrate on your job, if there is a woman around (laughs) you, get a different job. And, like, why do you even need
2: phasers? Like, you just bring away these women around with you and they'll just stun everyone. (laughs) I also like how creepy McCoy gets when he flirts. And this is true throughout the new J.J. movies. Whenever McCoy flirts, he gets so weird and creepy. And it makes me laugh. Because, like, I would totally be down with dating McCoy. McCoy is the man But when he's, like, trying to be charming to the ladies, it's just so weird. I like McCoy as McCoy, you know, when he's, like, mean to everyone. That's when I'd date you. (laughs) Uh,
1: But, you know, I actually did find there were funny moments in the next Mud episode, which is iMud, which is uh, about halfway through season two. Does anyone want to give a synopsis
2: of that one? I think Grace should do it because she dropped out and we didn't get to hear from her for the last...
0: We need more Grace, is all I'm saying. So this weird crewman is on board, and he takes them to this planet, where, surprise, the leader is Mud, of all things. And the planet is filled with beautiful women who are waiting on him. And as it turns out, they are robots, trying to form their own little robot society, but Mud just kind of wants to have them be his robots. I do
2: like the very beginning of this episode, because... McCoy is talking to Spock about how weird the new crew member is, the robot crew member, and he's like, it's so, so weird that he doesn't, like, have feelings and stuff, and Spock's just looking and he's like, I mean, you know, if he's not a Vulcan, it's weird, and it's so awkward, and Spock gets kind of, just kind of turns on his heel and walks down the the hallway in a huff, and I just, Spock versus McCoy is one of my favorite things ever about the original series, and they need more of it always.
1: I think this hook is really great. Um I love Crewman Norman. It's just so creepy and then <laughs> Norman Norman <laughs> exactly. And he basically sabotages the ship to get it to go to this planet where mud is and then we find out he's an android and it's just so great. I'm like I am sold on this episode even though it has mud and I know mud is coming out. And, and
3: androids that the rest of Star Trek keep telling us are way too advanced to exist. There are sure a lot of androids that are too advanced to exist.
2: Yeah. I don't know. It's like they they bring up technology and then we forget about it and then we bring it up again and it's revolutionary. Yeah. So basically they get to this planet which is populated
1: with 500 basically sex bots. He talks about the Alice model because these are all women he's dated or had a thing for in the past. So uh he goes there, all identical, beautiful, compliant, obedient. Yeah. I wasn't super shocked because this is after what our little girl's made of. Um so we've already seen sex bots before and we know it's Harry Mud. Um but but it is cool though because after a bit we find out that Mud is not in charge, that the androids are actually in charge of him and he's trapped.
2: I just like this shot of like numerous, numerous, numerous like fembots. And it's so gross. And it made me laugh because it's just so over the top how gross Harry Mudd is.
1: And Uhura gets a scene because they basically offer to turn her into an android so that she can be eternally beautiful. And at first, like, it seems like she's going along with it. And if you have really low expectations of the original (laughs) series, like I did when I first watched this, I was going oh my god, this is going to be awful. But then it turns out she's been leading them on, and she obviously was never going to go along Maybe with it. Maybe she this. got a
2: glimpse into the future to know that she remains gorgeous forever.
3: <laughs>
1: totally. They set it up, and she is like, I want an android body, I want immortality, I'll live forever, Captain! And then um, he sort of like picks her up, and like it looks like he's going to shake her, but then he congratulates her because she fooled the androids. So that's pretty great. I
2: enjoyed Once it. Once
3: again, they outsmart the androids. At least they do it with
2: dancing this time. It's one of my favorite scenes of the original series. And definitely one of Chekhov's best moments.
0: You watch the scene and it's hard to imagine them not having fun making it.
1: That's okay. They all really get fun stuff to do. Cause they're, they basically figure out that in order to destroy the androids, they have to confuse them to death. To the point where Norman is actually smoking <laughs> out of his head. And it is amazing. It's... Kind of annoying because Mud kind of gets forgiven for his role in everything because he helps them confuse the androids, even though they totally could have done it without him. But then at the end, his punishment is, like Grace said, that they make a bunch more copies of his ex-wife and he gets to
2: be controlled by ex-wife androids. True comedy is Spock trying to be illogical. They should have stuck with that. I love you, but I hate you. But we're the same. Exactly. Oh my god, smoke coming out of their ears. It's
1: so funny. It's pretty great. I mean, I'm glad that at the end that is his punishment, because obviously it was super awful to create a robot of her so that you could shut her up. Like, that is just an awful thing to dehumanize someone, literally. It's very much this classic shrew archetype. So it's cool at least that that's the punishment, even though it doesn't really challenge the archetype. Can you imagine what
2: it would be like to be married to Harry Mudd? I would turn out to be a shrew, too. I probably just would have
1: let him go and divorced him, I'm hoping. He ran into
3: my knife. He ran
2: into my knife nine times. I, that's exactly what I was thinking. I was like, I'd be doing the cell block tango. He had it coming, man.
1: But yeah, I mean, realistically, none of us would ever end up married to Harry Mudd. That is
2: very, very true.
1: I, I hear he doesn't even like cats. <laughs> well, that's
2: a deal breaker.
0: Where to begin? I'm just saying, if you had 500 blank robots... I, d- I just really feel like mud made a real waste of them. I mean, when you have an opportunity for a robot army, why waste even one making it look like your ex? And why just waste them all to just stand there and look pretty? You could have an army! You could take over! This is just another example of mud and stories with mud being a waste of potential. Makes me very sad as far as stories with robots go. It's a damn shame.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know that um, people there complained about Mudd is he just wasn't a antagon- good enough antagonist for the crew that he kind of lowers the crew. But to me, like that's not even the biggest problem because there are a few of those in the original series. Like you know, there's a lot of psychotic children <laughs> and uh, the Spock's brain ladies. So um, what is brain? Yeah, he's certainly not unique in being a kind of weak antagonist for the TOS crew, but uh, he's kind of unique and just being super
2: super gross (laughs) if I had the ability to make 400 robots I would make a robot army just saying
3: if I could make 500 robots I would make a season 2 of Firefly
2: (laughs) (laughs) much better use of robots than Harry Mudd came up with
3: that's a different podcast
1: (laughs) I would make a musical sweet charity TOS mashup yes there you go it'll finally get made (laughs) and
3: I would buy every seat in the theater
1: (laughs) So actually, I would say that the Muds episode that made me The angriest, though, was the animated series episode Mud's Passion. Basically what happens in the animated series episode is Mud comes on board again and he is trying to sell a love potion and he's basically being kept under guard, but he weasels his way out by telling Nurse Chapel, but like, hey, you could make Spock love you. So she goes to try to make Spock fall in love with her with this potion and it appears to not work. So then instead of, you know, reporting him and admitting that, you know, she kind of let this guy go, she goes after him with a phaser. And then he holds her hostage because she isn't very good with a phaser. (laughs) Then it turns out the love potion did work. Yeah, it's basically just awful in terms of how it treats
3: chapel it makes her so desperate it's really really sad um but my favorite thing my absolute favorite thing about this episode is that this is a love potion only if it's between a man and a woman they make it explicitly clear that if you touch two men or two women they just become really good friends
1: (laughs) oh my god it's totally like um, in, uh, the Enterprise episode Bound, where the thing only makes men delirious, but it makes women have headaches. Just like everyone is heterosexual in the future. And
3: that scene between Kirk and Spock on the planet is totally hetero, you guys.
1: I do really enjoy Spock going, Christine, my love. <laughs> but other than that, I couldn't enjoy anything about this episode.
3: But what about Spock saying, that is an outstandingly stupid idea? <laughs>
1: Oh yeah, that was actually kind of funny. If they, because like the animated series is so silly that if they had Mud just come on board with like a stupid potion, that could have been funny.
2: Yeah, I don't understand why Chapel is so easily fooled. And I don't like it that... Because
1: women... It was basically just like, women need love of a man, and that is their greatest desire in life, and therefore they can be totally tricked out of their duty. I mean, we see this all the time in the original series, just in this episode, because it's the animated series and because it goes faster, um... It, it's like there's even less resistance and it's a regular character. Like normally we see this in like Space Seed with Marla MacGyver's and a bit in uh, uh, with Apollo and Carolyn Palamas um, that there's always women falling in love with villains because women just lose their heads. Um, but it frustrated me more because it was Chapel and... Uh, because it was just such a stupid reason.
2: Yeah, I mean, even the animated series has the episode The Survivor in which the female crew member can't get over the fact that the enemy looks like her ex-fiance, so she keeps letting him go. But it's just really frustrating to see Chapel knows who Harry Mudd is. You know, she knows his shenanigans. And apparently she's cool with... I mean, like, her love for Spock overwhelms her or something. But the thing that bothers me most about this episode is basically harry mud paddling rape drugs yeah when it comes down to it
3: yeah because when it when it affects the entire crew and gets through the the air circulation system all of the women are desperate for affection and all of the men are total players and it's just so
2: terrible it did make me laugh though to see maress and scotty (laughs) because maress had like no intonation she was just like you're very attractive for a human, but she didn't even sound like she meant it. It was really weird and funny. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, this whole idea of like a love potion or like a love pill is really gross. I mean, you can make it seem like love, but what it comes down to is rape. You're making somebody do something against their will without their consent.
1: Yeah. You know, it wasn't just that it was Chapel getting tricked by Harry Mudd, but, you know, we see in What Are Little Girls Made Of that she, you know, she was very emotionally torn by running into her ex-fiance, but, you know, at no time did she come close to shirking her duty, so I didn't buy that her unrequited love for Spock, that she would have just been totally okay tricking him into loving her into this artificial love enough that that would make her want to totally let her guard down around mud.
2: The other thing too is in Plato's stepchildren, when they're forced to kiss, she hates it. Like that's really, it's like torturous for her because it's not Spock that she's kissing. You think that she would figure that out. Like, if you have to resort to chemicals to make someone, I'm using air quotes here, love you, then it's not real. Yeah, for sure. Love is honesty and respect for each other.
1: Yeah. So I wanted to touch on a couple of the similar characters in later Trek. So the first one is Cyrano Jones in Trouble with Tribbles. And he actually was supposed to be Mud, but they couldn't get the actor who played mud so they created another character. I'm so glad. I am too just because of what came before, but I think that Cyrano Jones is like he shows kind of an appropriate role for a lovable con man that he
3: Right, I just think that if it if it had been Mud, it would have been made more gross. Yeah,
2: absolutely. Well, you know, Cyrano Jones traffics tribbles, not women, so that's better. Yeah. Yeah. I just feel like Mud would bring down all the Tribbles episodes. Yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. And Cyrano Jones also isn't the main enemy in the episode. Um, so, you know, it takes care of that idea that it's, he's not a worthy antagonist because he was just, you know, a, a piece in that plot. Um, so another one is, I mentioned briefly, the outrageous Akana. The episode is so horrible. He also has some issues with women. <laughs> I don't think quite as egregious definitely problematic but he's not selling women (laughs) i love that this is like the
2: lowest bar it's like he's not that bad he's not selling and trafficking women (laughs) we've really lowered the bar our standards harry mudd has really destroyed our standards (laughs)
1: yeah you know i think he also the outrageous kana is supposed to be really irresistible to women and that would have been even more disgusting if mud was supposed to be attractive but i don't think he's meant to be which is i guess good Maybe he should take some Venus drug. (laughs) We're just like really struggling to find nice things to say about him.
2: I like his outfits better in (laughs) Imod. There you go. That's his compliment. They did a really
3: good job animating him to look like the actor. Yeah. And I don't think the (laughs) actor is bad.
1: I think he's just, you know, like he's playing a role that the role is built on so many sort of awful Uh, tropes and assumptions
3: it's hard to say whether the character could have been better if the plot was better or if the character would still be a terrible person Mm -hmm. you know but it's just the the two of them together especially telling these stories with this character just make him terrible and that doesn't mean the actor's bad it just means that the character and the story are really really problematic
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, regardless of thoughts on, because there is a difference between, like, sex work and sex trafficking, but romanticizing a pimp and being, like, a lovable song and dance man pimp is super problematic in any context. And when he doesn't sing one song
3: or do (laughs) one dance.
1: Exactly. Yeah, I don't know that it it could have really been better. I think the premise off the top was just a bad idea and I'm I'm still really surprised that he's the one character that made it back. I think that there were a lot of other interesting guest stars in the original series that would have been more interesting coming back for a second shot.
2: And that's why I, I go back to the the question, like, did audiences actually respond to this character? Or is this just the the four of us going blah Like are there people out there that actually like his character because i would be surprised by that
3: i think there are fans who watch this in maybe first run or early reruns for whom this was like real comedy like and they might have some kind of nostalgic soft spot for it you know what i mean but like viewed through this lens it is just it's unfortunate
2: (laughs) you know i was thinking when you said that he should uh, take the Venus drugs, and it was right when we were talking about the outrageous Akona or whatever his name is. And I was think, I was like picturing Mud taking the Venus drugs and getting the mullet. It's like this picture in my head. Um, I mean, I read an interview with Roger Carmel where the author was just talking,
1: you know, raving about how much he he loved Harry Mudd as a kid, and he thought he was so funny.
3: Yeah, all I keep seeing is he was a popular character. He was a popular character, but nothing. To support that like no ratings information or, or fan mail or whatever to support it so i guess we just have to believe that that was the case in terms of whatever metrics they used at the time
2: yeah because i mean it's one thing bringing him back for the original series but it's a total another thing to you know bring him back for the animated series he made it through two different star trek shows
3: and didn't they actually pay for the original actor to voice the character? Yes, they did. Because they got away with as few voice actors as possible on the animated series. Yeah,
1: all the women are either Nichelle Nichols or Majel Barrett. <laughs> the uh so Herb Solo, uh, who was um worked for Desi Lu, said about the script, it was very well written. Uh, this is for Mud's women. Uh, it was very well written, it was fun, and it featured three beautiful women hookers selling their bodies throughout the galaxy. It later became a standout and much-loved episode in the series. And I feel like you need, like, a <laughs> at the end of
3: that, because it just skeeves me out. But they're not hookers. No! Right? They're They're being trafficked. They're not selling themselves. They are being sold. Yeah, and even if (laughs) there's a difference. Yeah, and even
1: if they think that they know what they're in for and they think they're going into this willingly, they they end up being in a situation they can't escape from. They don't have a choice once they've entered into that to withdraw their consent.
2: Yeah, I mean, the Enterprise leaves them there, right? What if they want to leave eventually? How are they going to get away? They
3: wait for a supply ship, I
2: guess. Yeah, but will their husbands let them leave? We don't know. We don't know who these guys are. This is literally a random mining planet. It's not even the original one they were going to.
1: I mean, certainly the miners could physically overpower them. I I don't really have a lot of faith that if the miners didn't want to let them go, that they could go. Yeah. Especially the way that the miners talk about them. Like, basically, I bought, I paid for you, and now you're going to do what I want. Yeah. So, yuck. Oh, God. Apparently, Simon Pegg, suggested in star trek into darkness that they could have cast his co-star from paul nick frost as harry mudd in the movie so i'm really glad that didn't happen no
2: <laughs> although he is writing
1: the new one so
2: if simon Pegg puts nick frost into that space fedora and makes him wear a big mustache and be harry mudd i can't even i will freak out well,
3: he's writing the next one and making it less Star Trekky, Which, in my opinion, the first two were not Star Trekky enough to begin with. So, but that's me!
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I've heard he said, you know, he was basically hired to dumb it down. I'm determined to reserve judgment until I see the final product. Um, because with the writing and the directing changes... I really don't know how it's going to work out, uh, but certainly there's reasons for unease, and I think putting Harry Mudd in it would be a horrible choice.
2: I'm looking forward to see Justin Lin.
1: Yeah, that's one thing is originally I was like, oh, great, this action director and a lot of my uh, followers on Tumblr were like, that's not really fair. The guy actually does have a history of movies that treat women and people of color with, you know, thoughtfulness and exploration of race, um, particularly. So I'm determined to try to keep an open mind.
3: I will say right now that I will add an entire star to my rating of the next Star Trek movie if Christine Chapel is in it. That's all I need. Give me Chapel, and I'll be much happier than if I don't have Chapel. So
2: it'll go from a one star to a two star?
3: Well, I have to reserve judgment to actually rate it, right? I've
2: also seen
1: that they haven't actually confirmed Alice Eve yet as Carol Marcus and while I was obviously super frustrated with her role in the last movie I think it would do I think it would be worse to just drop her like she got dropped before yeah there was potential to do cool stuff with her so it would be a mistake to drop her
3: at least in the JJ verse she doesn't have a son to give all the scientific credit to anyway we're way off topic
2: (laughs) so do we have any final thoughts on on Harcourt Fenton mug mud Mug mud. I feel like every time they do a mud episode, well, not the first one, but the second two, they're like Harry Mud shows up, and they expect that I'm gonna be like happy to see him, and every single time I'm like, fa. <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah. Both returns had me going, this guy. Yeah, like really. really? <laughs> You know, we didn't have
1: anyone write in on our Facebook saying, "Yeah, I totally love Harry Mud." So, um if you totally love Harry Mud, please help explain why. <laughs> so, that's all that we have to say about Harry Mud today. So thanks again for joining us today. I'm Jara, and you can find me on the interwebs at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com.
2: Andy, where can people find you? Uh The easiest place to find me is on Twitter, uh where I am live-tweeting my first time seeing Star Trek, at first-time Trek. And I took a little bit of a break to watch the animated series, but I am primarily watching DS9s now, so you can check that out awesome. And Sue, where can people find you?
3: The best place to find me is over at anomalypodcast.com, A-N-O-M-A-L-Y podcast.com. And there are more podcasts and some blogs and some geeky tutorials over there as well. Great.
1: And we lost Grace, unfortunately, uh, due to internet mishaps. But uh, you can find her writing over on the Mythcreants blog. And she's also on twitter at BoneCrusher jank oh and if you want to get in touch with women at warp we are on facebook we are on twitter at women at warp we have a website womenatwarp.com. at warp.com. at the website you can find all the places you can listen to us and if you're still listening we would absolutely love you to leave us a review on itunes thanks very much for listening
0: i give you now a price beyond Latinum. As Grava ran his fingers over his many strips of latin, Froom could only wonder what it would be like to find their bodies, flushed together, in reckless defiance of the rules of acquisition. If worse came to worse, she could just lie on her back and think of the negus. But in that moment, Froom could only think one thing. Thank God she was already naked. Grava couldn't tear his eyes away from her. If she were glowing any more, she would have been dipped in latinum, and frankly, that mental image just turned him on harder. From her ample bosom, heaving as bosoms do, that perfect bald head that mirrored her miraculously formed rump. Froome saw the burning desire in his eyes, focusing on them to tear her mind away from the hanging dip of his lobes. His lobes. His lobes. <laughs>